0: Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks uh, for being here today. Um, I'm Tom. I'm the senior pastor, and I forgot my water, and my, my voice is starting to go. Would you mind grabbing? That's my wife, Lindsay. Uh, I want you to note that the top three things that uh, that, you, uh, that she says she likes here at Easter Ridge, none of them were my preaching. Um, so <laughs> thanks for that. So, uh, we are in the midst, and we're closing out a series today about relationships. Thank you. you. Underhand. (laughs) And conflict. And one of the things that I wanted to take a look at, actually, I wrote this series with this relationship in mind, uh, because we don't necessarily look at these individuals in scripture like they were real people with real problems with real relationship issues. And this story that we're going to look at today is kind of a, a power and control issue that was occurring between uh, King Saul and this young upstart, David. This ultimate power versus the next one in line. Now, the d- David is very integral into this family now. Um, he will, he's best friends with his son, Jonathan. David will marry Saul's daughter. And he's mentoring him and developing him into be the, the next king. And does Saul take pride in young David's success or does he begin to work against him? And Saul's, you know, kind of the backstory of this, there's a, a lot of backstory. But to kind of bring it forward, you know, Saul's army was being humiliated, and David, you know, shows up and has the Goliath moment. Saul's army, uh, Saul becomes jealous, and he begins to see him as a threat. And so he is going to threaten to kill him. He will pursue him. He will try to hunt him down and have him dead back and forth, sometimes he will, sometimes he sees, he says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't really mean like I was going to kill you, and then other times he'll say, so no, no, actually, I did mean to try to kill you, I'm going to send my army, and then it, this is just over and over, repeatedly, and so we're going to be in one section, and then it, this is all 1 Samuel, let's, so let's go to First Samuel 19, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David, it's a great way to start, you know, a meeting, Right? But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I will speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took his oath. And surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Now once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines, He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But a harmful or evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the lyre. Saul tried to put him to the wall, pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made his escape. I'm not going to kill you. I make a promise. Then, eh, let's, let's stab him, you know. And this will repeatedly occur. And so David has to go into hiding. David has to flee. so this relationship, this was once a good relationship. Now it has gone toxic. And, you know, hopefully you don't have anybody, you know, plotting to kill you right now. Um, But what this is is a story that I wanted to really take a look at of David is going to show something here that I think we can really learn from. So in this hiding he actually will write a uh, Psalms 18, 57, 59, 63, 70 and 142. So in this moment of fear of crisis, he will begin he will lean heavily on his faith and on his trust that God knows what he is doing. Even if my once mentor and kind of father figure at this moment is actively trying to hurt me. He's betraying me. Later on, in, verse, in chapter 24, we, we're going to rejoin the story. And Saul will again now be trying, he relents, brings David back. Saul will then try to pursue David once more in, in 1 Samuel 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So, so Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. There's good biblical content for you, right? <laughs> so Saul takes a pee break, okay? Okay. David and his men were far back in this cave. So imagine the, the scene of the guy trying to kill me is now coming into this cave. They don't know that I'm in here. Here's an opportunity to fix this situation. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David creeps up unnoticed. He cuts a corner off of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience stricken for having cut a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. He still stays loyal. The Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went his way. He was he cut the corner basically to show: I showed you mercy. I I had the opportunity to kill you, to repay you for what you've been trying to do to me for all these years. And I didn't. He's still looking for restoration. He's still looking, but this will not be a relationship that will be restored. Saul will not relent. Saul will continue to try to put down this this young upstart. David will be the king. So later in in the the story, we join back up in verse 16. When David had finished saying this to Saul, Saul said, Is that your voice, David, my son? When he wept aloud, you are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me, by the Lord, that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. David gave his oath to Saul. Saul returns home, and David and his men went up to the stronghold. Remember at the beginning of the story, Saul made an oath, and he broke it. Here at the end, he asked David to make an oath. And David will keep that oath. He will not wipe out his family. He will not, uh, when, once he gains power, he will not cut off his descendants. He he holds this, he has this integrity here at this moment of, hey, I know what you have done to me and in my humanity, I really want to pay you back. He had that moment. Remember, he's, he crept up and thought better of it and took a piece of the cloth. He had that moment of, that I think that we all would, of I want to repay this hurt with hurt. But instead, he chose loyalty, but he also chose grace. And, and, and really, he showed the love of God to Saul. Now, this relationship will not get restored. It's, it's damaged. It's toxic. It is, he's not going to stay in that. And eventually, as when Saul will, will pass, David will take over the kingdom. This is established in the story of David is, you know, in the long lineage of David is is Jesus Christ, is Bethlehem. It's the whole story of how we, you know, get David into the kingdom. But it begins, really, in this scene with David choosing to not murder his enemy. And he totally could have. He could have repaid it. And I think everybody would have gone, well, hey, if you wouldn't have gotten him, he would have gotten you eventually. So a lot of people would have agreed with taking that path. See, Saul didn't fully trust God's plan, and he actively worked against it. He knew David was the chosen one, but he wanted to fix it himself. David, knowing knowing the will of God and trusting God, as he is in the the fleeing mode, writes this psalm. So I want you to think, okay, let's imagine you had somebody that you trusted, that you loved, they took care of you, they watched over you, they, they, they guided you, they shepherded you, and now ultimate betrayal. David, as he is fleeing, is writing this. Because you are my help. God, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me, they will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of liars will be silenced. Liars like Saul who gave an oath, now is pursuing him. He promised me that he wouldn't do this. They will be exposed. They will be silenced by God, not by David. David chose to trust God's plan in a moment where I think a lot of us would not have shown such restraint. Now, David has this integrity here. The young David is really remarkable, but once he gets power, he starts to lose a bit of that integrity. I could have chosen any number of stories in David's life for bad relationships. I could have chosen when he wanted, you know, to marry Bathsheba, but she was, you know, inconveniently married. So he sent her husband off to the front lines to die. That wasn't. Very, that didn't show much integrity of a, of a leader like that. So all that we can do, really, in this situation, this is what I wanted you to, to learn today, Is it's a phrase that I say, is keep your side of the street clean. Maybe p- there might be people out there that have hurt you, that have betrayed you, that have actively worked against you. They're, they're still gossiping about you now. And you have a choice whether or not you repay that back or what you repay it with. The story of David and Saul is a story where David, and I think in our minds, should have taken the matter into his own hands. But the godly story is he chose to let God handle it. He he chose. He said, well, God knew. God promised me that I would be the king. so Saul... Pursuing me, that's not in God's plan. So I will not, you had a moment, you saw it. I will not work against God's plan. Let's bring this forward a couple thousand years. When you are a person of faith, your actions matter. And what you, you can say a lot of things. But what you are, the fruit of your faith should, will show up in your actions. And if we are saying, you know what, God has forgiven me, God has loved me, God has shown me grace, and um, and I know that I should be trying to be more like Jesus Christ as much as I possibly can. I should be an imitator of Christ. I should love people as he loved um, loved my, me before I was, you know, while I was still yet a sinner, he loved me. But then if we say, yeah, but... I actively don't, I hate that guy. I will never forgive. I will never, I, I'm going to hold this grudge. I'm going to drink this poison repeatedly over and over and over. My side of the street is no longer clean. I'm now in the gutter with them. You don't have to stay in that relationship. You can move on. But it does not mean that you continue to fuel it with your own bile. Bile. It would be a remarkable thing for us as Christians to actively forgive people that have betrayed us and say, I'm going to reflect the love of God back to you. You don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve the love of God that I got. Back when I was a kid, my godfather... Uh, when my dad was um, in jail and was doing all kinds of poor decision-making, uh, my godfather stepped in and said, we need to get this kid to church. And I was about 13 years old. And so he would drag me to this Methodist church, uh, and I would sit up in the balcony. And I would basically, in my head, um, actively mock everything that's happening there. So if you, if you are a kid in church uh, doing that, you're going to be a pastor in about 10 years. Okay? <laughs> So I was up there in a the balcony of this Methodist church, and I would read the Bible. The first book of the Bible I ever read was the Book of Revelation. Um, and because not because I wanted a challenge, it had dragons in it, and I was 13. Okay? And I would read this and I would say, what kind of nonsense stuff are these people even talking about? Or, that was, I didn't understand it. What they were teaching was irrelevant to me. It didn't really engage with me because it wasn't real. It didn't apply to me yet. And what is so important is that we have to take these texts and these scriptures and look at them and see people that are openly mocking God, but God still pursuing and loving as he was doing that to me in that little Methodist church in Cincinnati, And while I was in that church, God was showing me love, even though I was not reciprocating at all. In fact, I was actually mocking it. What if we did that to other people? What if we loved as God loved? Even the people that have betrayed us, have mocked us, have failed us, have hurt us, we don't have to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be your best friend. I'm just going to continue to take this abuse. You can say, I'm moving on from you. But I'm not going to denigrate. I'm not going to tear you down. I'm not going to try to repay what you're giving me directly back. You, can, you do you on your side of the street. All I have is my integrity. What matters to me is that I, I read this text, I believe this text, and this text is the ultimate truth. However, if I don't live this truth, if I make up my own truth, that I can make this thing say whatever it wants me to say. And I can then actively say, you know what? I can hold grudges. I can work against people. I can tear people down. And that's really difficult. Because that's the humanity inside us. We want to get even. We desperately want to get even. David, at that moment, could have taken this man's family out of the equation. And I bet you he had friends around him that would have said, that makes sense. Saul betrayed you. Saul tried to kill you. Saul brought 3,000 men to hunt you. And you had the opportunity to take him down. You fool. Why wouldn't you have done it? I made an oath. He's the Lord's anointed. I trust God. I will not do that. All I have is my integrity. And if I take actions into my own hands, I'm working against the will of God at that moment. God wants me to be king, but not yet. eventually, You can get even, or you can show God's love. I used to openly mock God, and fortunately, he did not repay me that mocking with his own. Fortunately, he still looked down at me as his kid and went, you'll learn, gonna take you a long time, but you will learn. What's even funnier, you're gonna be talking about me every week the next 40 years of your life. What's going to be interesting is, you know, you're going to eventually move your, your, your family a thousand miles away. Your kids are going to have weird accents. And, and you're going to have all of your life built and centered around me. And you're mocking me now. But, man, do I have a plan. Somewhere along the way, God looked down upon all of us and said, I want my kids back. They sat I don't know how it works. in the, the Trinitarian Council, and they said, We need to send the Son. You are worth. God looked at you specifically when you were very much unlovable, even while you're still yet sinners, even while you were still mocking, even though you were casting aspersions upon Him or maybe making fun of it, other believers. How can you believe in this nonsense? He still looked at you and said, They're worth my kid. They're worth my son. And that amazing grace that we so lovingly accept, we refrain and restrain from offering that to others. Because we want to get even. That's the story of David and Saul. I wish David's... Relationship with God, it's, it's, very, it's fascinating. If you want to dive into it, please do. It's, the, this story is specifically 1 Samuel 19 to around 25. It's an interesting tale of two people, with, one with ultimate power and one with eventual power. One with the power to kill and murder and maim and destroy and the other with the power that God is working in him and eventually out of him will come the rescuer, the redeemer, the Christ. What can we learn from it? That's the point of all this, is in this relationship, it got toxic. It got bad. David stayed loyal probably longer than I would have. I don't know had I been given that opportunity to tear someone else down that was actively trying to hurt me. I think I might have taken that opportunity. But he, he didn't. So now in our lives, you might have someone, maybe in your family, at your workplace, friend that has hurt you, that has betrayed you. Maybe they've caused you personal pain or agony. Maybe they've broken trust. Now they're just chirping up, talking about you. They're trying to bring you down. Maybe somebody in your family and you have to see you have to see them every Thanksgiving, and you know what they have been saying about you. you have that opportunity right there, and you can say, "I'm going to get even, or I'm going to show you the love of God." Because that is your faith in action. Because fortunately, we didn't get what we deserved. What we deserved was the path to hell. What we deserved was we were unrighteous. We were actively working against God. But God so loved us that he sent his son for us. To rescue us. To redeem us. To be the ransom. To be the payment. That's what all of that means. A few years ago, I remember when I was... um, When I was first starting to kind of consider Jesus, I remember asking the question, what does a man dying 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me today? Why does that save me of my sins? And eventually I got in front of somebody that that sat me down and they they told me about it. And it was the best explanation I ever heard of. Because in the Old Testament, you see every year, you, uh, you would see them uh, come in for Yom Kippur, which is called the Day of Atonement. And they would take this lamb, the best lamb that they have. They would not get Stumpy, the three-legged lamb, and bring him in, because that's not a sacrifice. You could get your, the best lamb that they had. They would bring him in, and they would, uh, he would be slaughtered, and uh, the sins of the community would be placed upon that lamb for that year. They had to do this every year. So when we call Jesus the Lamb of God, it's because he was the perfect Lamb, the Son of God that all of us put our sins upon and he absorbed all of them for all of humanity. But we have to believe that he is the Son of God. That is the truth. Then, once we accept that, your lives should look different. We should not repay evil with evil. You take the hits. You don't stay in the abuse, but you're going to take some hits. But you don't get down in the mud with them as as well. David had the opportunity, and he did not take it. He'll take it a couple other times in other spots later on. He's not perfect by any stretch. He'll he'll suffer some major consequences later on for some of those decisions. But here in that moment, in that cave, in Saul's most vulnerable position— He restrained and said, that's not the will of God. I need to keep my side of the street clean. That's a really hard thing to do because the humanity inside us wants to get even. We need to move on, continue to show the love of God. Don't stay in it. Continue to show the love of God. Reflect grace that we have been so graciously given. And keep your side of the street clean. Because that's your faith in action. So as the team comes up, I'm going to pray over you. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you today with a lot of different baggage. People have hurt us. And maybe in the past we have repaid that hurt. We wanted them to hurt too. Fortunately, you did not repay all of our mocking with what we deserve. You showed us that ultimate grace. And may we reflect just a slice of that back to those who are unlovable right now. May we move on, but continue to show the grace and the mercy that you have offered us. It's unearned. And we thank you for that gift. It's in your name we pray. Amen.